So as we look at uh, Lord of the Rings right now, we come off of watching some of the mountain clip on block day yesterday, right? And so let's, let's go there on the map. We leave Rivendell, right? So we leave Rivendell, and we basically go down the western side of the mountains. A little misty mountain hop here, so shout out to Led Zeppelin. All right. Um, there's a little boot that's kind of sticking out about an inch down from Rivendell. They go up over that boot, and uh, that's where they get attacked by wolves in the book, and Gandalf does like some fireworks and stuff, so that's kind of cool. And then they end up uh, at Caradras. If you look at the words Ereglon and Holland, there are three mountains next to it, three big mountains. The middle mountain is Caradras. It's right above that little islet lake. Okay. They try to go up over that mountain, and they turn around. They can't do it, right? So they fail at that. So you can go up the mountain. They go back down, and you'll see Moria Gate with a little arrow. Go right up to the edge of the mountains there, and then pick up your pen and go to that little lake because they go under the mountains and pop out on the other side. I will help you if you need help. All right. Um, anybody? Like help yep. each other out next oh, to each yeah. other. Okay, let's help each other out a little bit. But here's the mountain. That what? See the lake? The middle mountain is Karadras. This is the lake by Celebrus. Yeah, so right above that. That one is Karadras. Yep. Thank you. Whoops. That's the mountain. Yep. And then we come back down around. So they head south. See these three mountains? The middle one, right above the lake, is the mountain, and then we're out to Moria Gate. So, that's where we stop. They mean they keep going, but we're going to stop. All right, so help each other out. Help the people next to you find it. All right. They continue to lure in and other stuff, but we will do that on Tuesday and Wednesday next week. Tuesday and Thursday next week. And then it stops after Mori Gate, right? For right now. For right now. Yeah. Okay. So we got 35 minutes in class. There's a bunch of stuff to talk about today. Um, let's lean into this first metaphor: the mountain. All right. Basically, what's a potential metaphor here? They should be able to go up over this mountain, but they can't. So they're going to go one way, and what do they have to do? Turn around and go a different way. Uh, one way to phrase this is they fail. They have a failed attempt at something. That happens in life, right? You sign up for soccer, and you don't make the team, or you apply to college, and you don't get into college, or you, you try one major, and you go, you know, you just don't give up, right? We keep what? We keep going. We go to a different college. We find a different route. We transfer, right? So I think there's just there's part of our journey that Tolkien offers us as a metaphor where we're going to mess up or we're going to fail or we won't be able to achieve something, and we've got to do what? Fight. Keep going. Keep going. Don't give up. So that's, that's the basic metaphor there. Other things that you could think of from the movie or the book? Uh, a couple of students talked about how in the movie Peter Jackson 
leans into Saruman attacking them. Like he's like, whatever, you know. He's on the top of Orthanc and he's calling in an earthquake and he's calling in the avalanche. So I think that's a fine metaphor. They get attacked on this mountain and have to go a different way. That's fine. Karadras. This is Karadras, the mountain. We're doing Karadras. So they, they, maybe you could say they got attacked. Um, in the book, Tolkien does it more like Mount Everest, where the people in Nepal believe that it has a spirit or it's alive. So you got a picture of the mountain, like my head and shoulders, and the ring is going up it. And he's like, hey, man, get, get that out. Like, like he's the, he knows the ring is evil, and the mountain does not want it, the ring on it. So he's like, get off me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, you know, whatever, you can go that way or not. It's fantasy literature, so your choice. But I think Tolkien writes a little bit of that whole nature aspect. And now nature is groaning and nature is, you know, frustrated by this as well. So we're doing Karadras now? Yeah, this is the mountain. Yeah. This was like a question, but this is a question that I had yesterday too, in why Gandalf doesn't tell Frodo. Um, yeah. The yeah. Um, I don't know the answer. I honestly don't know the answer. Any suggestions on why Gandalf would not tell Frodo about the Balrog? Yeah. Well, we, we don't really know what's ahead of us. Really. Okay. Yeah. I think Gandalf wants to be careful saying he knows we're going to get attacked by a Balrog. Does that make sense? Because he doesn't know that. But he does know that there is one in there. Yeah, I don't know the answer. I, I think that... I wondered if maybe it was from, well, at least in the movie, they made it seem like he did know, like, or at least was, like, yeah. alerted to the possibility of it. So I was, like, wondering if maybe it was a sacrificial thing, because when we were reading um, Silmarillion, you talked about how, like, the, or it, maybe it was that movie that you had to watch, how the Balrogs are supposed to be, like, kind of the evil equivalent of the wizards. So yeah. Like, he knew that he could match it. It was his turn, yeah. Yeah, I think that would be a great approach. He knows it's there. He knows it's super scary. But rather than saying, don't go that way because it's scary, it's like, okay, if we have to do that, we have to do it. You know, kind of like mm -hmm. sucking that up. Yeah. Yes, they would have been when you know super scared. Is that what you were going to go yes. for? Or? I was going to say, if he knew that was like the only way to go, it might as well not freak him out. Yeah. 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 Good. I'm sorry, I cut you off. Well, I was just going to say, like, when you know something big and scary is ahead, you get really anxious. Yeah, you get all anxiety. And, and sometimes it's debilitating. Yeah. So if he had done that, they probably would have had a different outcome. Nice analysis, you guys. That's great. I mean, I didn't know, so I think that's great. That's good conclusions. I think you guys are, I think we're starting to figure out this metaphor thing and really apply it well. And so the wisdom of Gandalf there, right? Of like, you know what? I'll sacrifice, or we don't know, or... He forgot. Yeah, forgot. Oops! <laughs> Oops! Right, I don't doubt that. Um, anyway, you slice it, they go a different route. Now, there's not a lot to write down for Karadras there, but let me give you a couple other thoughts here for potential metaphor. Uh, I, I've studied this enough, and I also teach literature, that in storytelling, you place certain things in certain ways for certain reasons. And so I want to offer to you the, that Tolkien has put these, he stacked these metaphors. With Karadras, they go up the mountain. Could they keep going? They could, but what might happen? Hobbits might die. 
So we could keep going and maybe sacrifice some of the group or do what? Go a different route, even though it might be really hard. Go a different route because there is, ready? There is another option. So since there is another option, we might as well take that versus just sacrificing members of the group. It's right above that little lake by the gates of Moria. Okay. The, the, next, the next metaphor is the gates of Moria. They go in, and what does the Kraken do? He blocks the way back. So do they have another option? No, no so Moria is dark, it's dangerous, it's risky. Should we go a different way? No. Yeah, we should, but can we? No. no. See the difference? So one is, this is super hard. We might sacrifice people. Oh, well, let's just keep going. No, we have other options. We go a different way. I call that people over peak. Um, I used to run adventure trips out west, Colorado, and uh, we would climb some of those mountains with a bunch of freshmen and sophomores. And we would find ourselves on a high alpine meadow with two or three that just couldn't keep going. So the group has to decide. Sorry, guys, we're going to keep going to the peak without you or stay together as a group. And what was the intentional lesson we were trying to help them understand? When we're serving each other, what do we do? Yeah. No, they didn't. But it was, it was super hard because you're like, we, we climbed this mountain to get there. That, uh, people over peak. Does that make sense? So that was, that's kind of that lesson I think that we have here is they're choosing the hobbits over this route. Good choice, right? Now when we get to Moria... It's hard, it's dangerous, someone could die, <clears throat> right? It'd be, great to go, it'd be great to go a different way, but can we? No, so we just got to keep going then, even though it is super hard. It's not like people over peak, it's just like we got to keep going, yeah? See the difference? So I think Tolkien really stacked that there. This is the part of class where I lean into it. You guys know me by now, rather than leaning away from it. Um, but I, I'm doing this not to hurt anybody or to destroy anybody's relationships with their parents. I'm doing it because it's very personal and I wish people had helped me see it a little earlier. It's a big deal. We're not very good at people over peak in our culture. Especially Christian culture, actually. Because we often say the peak is for Jesus, right? And so I'll pick on the missionaries first. Um, but I have missionaries in my family and missionaries who are my friends and I've, I, I support a lot of missionary groups and I've seen two very different types of missionary and I've seen a missionary where you've got this dad or mom usually a dad who's like for the kingdom for Jesus we got to go get the Bible and the gospel to these people that they don't know that doesn't know Jesus and mom's like I you know what wait can we wait or I'm not I'm not sure I'm in on this and the kids are like no not right now but dad's like sorry family it's for the kingdom. It's for Jesus. So he drags his family off to who knows where, and the, their parents are fighting, and the kids are sick, and sorry, family, it's for what? That's super awkward and not biblical. And so someone has to say it, and I'll be the guy who say it. At that point, when you're putting, when you're saying for Jesus, but you're sacrificing your family for Jesus, that's not what that verse means where it's hate thy mother and father. That's not, that's a misuse of that verse, right? It says you are worse than the pagan if you don't take care of your family, <clears throat> right? 
And so I think it's really interesting is we don't need more of those missionaries who go out there. I think it's really interesting to find out how awkward it is for the people who are being ministered to when they see these missionaries sacrifice their own families for them. And they're like, I, I thanks? That's just weird. What are you doing, right? Now, that's different because I also want to shout out to the missionary friends and families that I know who, is it hard being a missionary? Is there sacrifice? Like, yes, 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 like, yes. And if mom and dad are in it together and the kids are in it together and they're working hard together, even though it's hard making sacrifice, that's totally different. Totally different. I can think of the Pearson family who are in Papua New Guinea. Super hard. They've been sick. They've come home. They've taken breaks. But husband and wife are working together. They've got like five kids and they're all in it. They're all in it. Right? Versus these other families who I won't list their names where they've destroyed their families for the kingdom. It's like... Sorry, family, sucks for you, but I got to go do this for Jesus. Does that, like, when I say it like that, that does not work, does it? No. And so I think we have something here. If there's another way, and the mis- don't be a missionary says, yeah, but there's no other way. No one else will get them the gospel if I don't do it. Hashtag, that's a lie, and you are arrogant, right? <laughs> like, God can get them the gospel if he wants to get it to them. Does it have to be through you? No way. Right? We're serving God, right? He doesn't need us. Uh, especially at the expense of your family, right? Send somebody else, <laughs> right? Or, or wait, or I mean, there's got to be there's, there's other ways. Um, let me let me even make it more personal and closer to home. I think of the mom or dad who's working 90 hours a week in the burbs for a bigger house, but they're never in that house. That's awkward, isn't it? Uh, it is, and that's where we get so much teenage angst. Because we have these parents who are total workaholics who aren't even around for their families. But they're doing it for who? For their families, who they aren't even around for. Does that work? Like, it, it does. Like, you can justify it any other way. It just doesn't work. Most of the kids I talk to would rather have a smaller house and dad home for dinner. Right? Now, I can say that because that was my dad. He was a total workaholic doing 14 or 15 surgeries a day. I saw him for like 10 minutes a week when I was a junior at Wheaton Academy. It was sad. He caught on. He figured it out. I was already in college, so we had missed a boat there. I had to forgive him, and I did, right? Like, he screwed up. I forgave him. I'm not going to live bitter the rest of my life. That would be dumb, right? And I started connecting with him end of college, and then he died, unfortunately. But at least he got it and started figuring it out and apologized even. That's a big deal. But it's like the excuse was, but if I don't fix these guys, I don't fix their knees, you know, then they have a broken knee. Okay, let some other doctor do it. (laughs) Can doctors have a different work schedule than the one that they have? Yeah. (laughs) That's the lawyer who's out saving everybody else's family and not home for theirs. That's the pastor who's out serving who? All the other families and not his or her own. Are we tracking here? If... There's other options. Now, let me give you the different example. What about the dad who's got three jobs during the Depression just so his family can eat? Do any of the kids resent that? No, we make movies about them. Those are heroes, right? How many movies are being made about the hero dad who works 90 hours a week in the burbs? Yeah, they're not the heroes. And I'll cry with you and be frustrated with you and help you forgive them, right? And I'm not trying to create wedges. I'm really not. And there's a little bit of sarcasm there, but it's not like it's like, this is a big deal, isn't it? Why am I telling you? When do these decisions start 
need to start happening no. now as you before you become one of them does that make sense and i think that's where we got us that's why i'm willing to take the risk on sharing this lesson it's a hard one right i had a pastor once tell me you can't change your parents but you can change the kind of parent you will be that starts now right and the other thing is if, if you're if you're falling under this metaphor and it's hitting home for you gotta forgive won't do any good if you don't right it's huge important to forgive and move past it and make the most of it but some of you know what I'm talking about and it didn't work and it's not working right the key here is that there's another option because Moria we're gonna find families who end up in situations where there aren't other options and what do you do yeah move forward and make the most of it yeah but I, I have a very small tolerance for people who say there is no other option when there are plenty of other options like making less money or working less <laughs> yeah like and lately we've been like talking about some of these like inheritance like sins of the family and mm -hmm. stuff like that and like this kind of like can fall under that oh yeah I my mom said something to me once that was like really impactful that I've always remembered and I don't necessarily think that she thought at the time that it was yeah. so memorable but she said um Having an example of what not to do can be just as valuable as having an example Definitely. of what to do. Yeah. So I think that these kind of inherited traits from our parents, we can either, you know, embrace them and keep the bad habits going, or we can take those as our example of what not to do yeah. and let it kind of motivate us to do something different. And that's the redemption in it, right? So we can forgive, we can find redemption, find reconciliation, and move forward. So either way, we don't have to be a victim. Mm -hmm. Amen. <laughs> right? Amen. And, and here's the scoop. But for the grace of God, I'm that teacher who was going to be the workaholic teacher. I like teaching. It was easy for me as a, at Wheaton Academy to get sucked into the culture here. And but for God's grace, I would have done the exact same thing as my dad, except I'm a teacher instead of a doctor, right? <laughs> and I'm trying to steer clear from that and change that pattern. It's hard, right? But I, I don't mind a minute or two of your life and class to try and put that out there say hey examine it process it maybe learn from it and start the process of changing it now yeah it's hard man in american culture and actually in american culture and asian culture that workaholism ends up being a virtue right which we got to be super careful of probably all need to go to mexico siesta <laughs> <laughs> or or Europe where you get three months off. Oh <laughs> wait, wait, what? Hello, right? Yeah. Um, if you don't necessarily have that in your life, is there another kind of metaphor that you could find with that, like Karadras? Yeah, that's what I was trying to say. With Karadras, it's it's failure or a mistake or you're going one direction and you choose a different one, that kind of stuff. And so maybe that hasn't happened yet. Mm -hmm bless you <laughs> right but do you think there might be a chance where maybe you're i got my major in college and i'm going to be a nurse like what what are you thinking of doing in college uh, yeah but okay so even more so but like if you're going to be a nurse and you're like ah you know what i'm not gonna be a nurse anymore i'm gonna go this way you could call that failure it's just like you know what we're going this direction and now i'm going this direction i tried out for the soccer team i didn't make it Okay, I'm just going to give up on life? No, you keep going. Does that make sense? So that's why I started with that metaphor, and then I took it to this other layered one because of what's coming next. Yeah? Is it wrong to, is it wrong to work too much? 
Here's what I would say. I wouldn't use the word wrong to work too much. I would say, what, are you, what value are you giving work and what are the sacrifices you're making for your work? Does that make sense? So for me, if I'm always hanging out with you guys and not Anna and Eli, something's off there. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. However, you have people like Jesus. Did he work a lot? Yeah, but it was him. And so he's like, he made his vocation who he was. But did you notice too that Jesus also did what? Took breaks and got some quiet time. Yeah, like, so I think there's got to be some type of a balance there, yeah? Here's what I would say. I have learned the answer to that question is if you make your work your identity, you will work too much because you'll be working for your identity. Does that make sense? If your identity is in Christ, then you're working from your identity for your work, and it's way easier to set boundaries. Did that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but if, if your identity is in Christ and you want to work 70 hours and you can do that in a way where you're not sacrificing all your relationships and all your people and it's not your identity, then maybe there's something onto that, right? I just find that most people who work 80, 70, 90 hours a week, they're feeding something in there that's unhealthy. Not always, though. Not always. Yeah? Most likely, but not always. Not always. I'm not going to be the guy who says, yeah, and all workaholics are all, you know. I'm not going to do that. Um, and that's why I wanted to go to the identity route, is if you're working to support your own identity, that's not a good use of work, <laughs> right? Our identity needs to come from Christ. Yeah? Yeah. Great question. Great question. All right, onward. Let's go to Moria. we got like 20 minutes left. All right, so we're going to go to Moria. I'm going to show the video clip here, and we'll kind of watch this um, to set us up. Now, I'm just going to talk over it, and it'll speak for itself. It's pretty straightforward, Okay. And whatever we don't finish today, we'll just pick up on Tuesday. But it'll be enough to give us. There are older and finer things than orcs in the deep places of the world. So, in literature, we would call this the journey into the underworld, or. In theology, we call this the dark night of the soul. Has anybody heard those things before? Yeah, some of us, okay. Now you have. All right, so in theology, dark night of the soul. In epic adventure journeys, it's the journey into the hero goes on the journey into the underworld. Think of Odysseus, underworld. Luke Skywalker, underworld. Harry Potter, I think has to deal with the Death Eaters, right, or something, right? Everybody's got this as part of their journey. Jesus, does he have that? He descends into hell, right? So even Jesus has that journey into the underworld. So Tolkien writes it into the story because this is going to point to whose story? All of our stories.
And there it is. And what do we realize about the underworld? It's dark. It's dark. Yeah, who's AP Psych? Where are we now in AP Psych? Yeah. <laughs> we're down in the deep subconscious. We're down in deep repository of memory. Right? So what we have is lots of layers here. This is going to be your hardest moment, your darkest moment, your deepest fear, your hardest question in philosophy class. Right? Everybody's got it. And so this is going to be subconscious or deep subconscious. And what are we going to find there? When you and I go into the depths of our souls, we're going to find what? Darkness and death and depravity, right? Right? We're also going to find what, though? Mithril. Real myth. Go Tolkien. Myth. Real. We're going to find the most precious thing available in Middle Earth. And that's also our soul. What we will also find is like Moria. This should be a palace. This should be a beautiful temple, right? But it's dark and broken and depraved and needs cleaned up needs made new. Are we tracking? So, all of us are going to have this. Some of you, bless you, you're 18, 17, you've already had it. <laughs> right? Um, but it happens. And it might be an hour, the worst hour of your life. But there'll be victory. It might be two days or three. It might be eight days. It might be three months. It might be seven years. I don't know. It's different for everybody, but everybody's got it on their journey. This is not meant to scare you. It's meant to be part of the journey. God had Job go through this. This is that suffering. In this world, you will suffer. There is suffering in this world. Fear not. I have overcome the world, right? And you, we will make it through these dark, hard times. We will. But it's going to be hard. It's going to be dark. Remember, the mithril's in there as well. We good? Keep going? All right. He talks about Frodo's chain mail. Sure, he's like, what? I'm wearing something worth more than the Shire? Yes, exactly. We're also going to get to places of very hard decisions. Dark decisions. Confusion. Big question. Maybe we'll be lost even. Yeah? I'm no member of this place. Have you lost You're also going to have some profound conversations in these dark places. Chance. Is he? 
It was pity that stayed me was Many that lived deserve death. Some that died deserve life. Can you give it to the Frodo? Do not be too eager to deal out death and judgment. Even the very wise can see all manners. My heart tells me that Gollum has some part to play here, for good or ill. Before this is over. Pity you, Bilbo. That way. <laughs> He's remembered. No. But the air doesn't smell so foul down here. If you die, Gandalf, always follow your nose. Gandalf, he keeps hope. Those are some wise words. We had three or four very profound truths in that little paragraph. And where did we get those? In the darkest moment. This is what it should be. This is where our hearts should be. These beautiful kingdoms. I love that moment. It reminds me of the beginning of The Hobbit, and they were able to, in The Hobbit, create the, the beauty of what this should be, and what it used to be, and what it can be. All right, so I'm gonna kind of move us along here. They get in here, there's more death, they get trapped, Pippin throws rocks down a well and wakes up the Belrog, and here he knocks over that thing. Awkward, there's a metaphor. <laughs> oh, I've done some awkward things before. And then there's this great battle, and then we actually have battle. This is where I think in the Mines of Moria we get battles. We're going to be fighting battles to save our lives, we're going to feel trapped, it's going to be dark, it's going to be hard, there's going to be trolls. Frodo gets stabbed and almost dies, but that... Mithril shirt saves his life, which is awesome, right? And uh, don't leave home without it. That, oh, nice pause. There you go, right? <laughs> that saves his life in the darkness. Exactly. The use of our breastplate of righteousness. And then we end up out here. And we are what I would call surrounded, right? And I'm trying to get that here it is. And some of us feel like this. We are overwhelmed by these orcs. And let's lean into what these orcs can represent, right? Temptation, fear, depression, doubt. Especially they represent lies. How do we kill off an orc? What do we use? Truth. The sword kills the orc. An arrow. All right, a Bible verse right in the eye, right? Like that's the kind of stuff that kills off the orcs. Prayer, the power of prayer. These are the types of things that kill off these orcs. And so if we think of orcs as temptation, 
fear, lies, the enemy in these things. We got all the whole story. We're fighting them off with our swords of truth, right? But wait. What's this? Is this a lie? Is this depression? Is this a fear or a doubt? What's this? <laughs> They're freaked out. What is this, you devil? is big. Can Frodo take this thing on? We already talked about Gandalf can. It's like, and here we go. Look at that jump. Nice pause. <laughs> there we go. Cool cinematographics here. Never toss a dwarf. That's fun. All right. Oh, and then we're going to back it up to right about here. And what is this? That's not an orc. Not that little lizard in the great divorce, is it? What's he do? That a metaphor. And what do we got? Now, some of you just need to write this down: depravity and Jesus. Because can we do it? Can we? We're little Frodo's. Can we take on depravity? Can you take on your own brokenness? Can you take on your own sin? No. And what do we have to do at some point on our journey? Let Jesus do it. And will he? Yeah. Just like Gandalf. He'll turn, he'll face it, and he'll take that thing out, right? I think for some of us, that's our metaphor. It's a really good one, and I can hand it to you right there, right? But I think some of you need to identify with Gandalf right now. And what is this thing? Big work. Yeah, it's big. Super work. This is your biggest fear. It's your hardest philosophy question. Like, why does God allow evil to happen, and why do you let it happen to me? If you don't take on that question, it will take you off the quest. This is my biggest fear of dying or getting cancer, like Matt, right? Like we just prayed for that. And now he is, I'm going to send him a picture of this saying, come on, man, right? Like, because he was sitting in this class. We even talked about this kind of stuff. He's got to take that on. This is that 
hardest relational thing. This is that fear that you're like, if that happens, I don't know if I can handle it. And what do we got to do with it? Some of you have already fought some Balrogs off. Kudos to you. Nice work. Some of you are doing it right now. And at some point, you'll have one. They're part of our journeys. We, at, at some point, we've got to deal with the hardest stuff that's available. And the serpent is fire. You do the flame of our Turn and face it. I'm stopping in the emotional climax here, but I'm a rock climber. I mean, and look at these holes. They're, they're huge. On purpose. Could he just climb up? Yes. Yeah, but what did we learn in The Great Divorce? We don't just manage our sin, we do what? We kill it. I like that Peter Jackson did that. He could pull up here. He could keep going, but he knows it's one thing to knock a bell rug off a bridge, and it's another to go do what with it? <coughs> Kill it. Right? Which is exactly what Gandalf does. And do you and I have the willingness to take ourselves off the humility, to take ourselves off the quest, deal with our bell rugs, so that others can keep going, and so that we could maybe rejoin later Gandalf 2.0, right? Ironically, what did it cost him to do this? Everything. And that's what Christ, that's what Christ calls us into, right? Power, you fools! I remember when my niece was reading this, my niece was reading this and she calls me, Uncle Matt! Oh, she's like, Uncle Matt! No, I love Gandalf! I'm like, it's okay, Haley, it's okay. Just keep reading. Keep reading. Right? Like, but there's something to be said. Have a great weekend. Go kill some Balrog, all right? And uh, take care, you guys. We'll see you on Tuesday, all right? Nice job today. I'm